So Money, episode 126, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. It is beautiful here in Brooklyn. I'm preparing for my mother, actually, to come into Brooklyn this week. She's coming in on the red eye uh, from California, actually. So it's uh, it's you know, the calm before the storm, but it's a good storm. Mom's in town, and I'm looking forward to introducing her to my little podcast studio. She's yet to see it and see where all the magic happens. And I don't know, maybe she'll make a cameo. Maybe I'll uh, convince her to come and um, do a little... Uh, interview with me. Would you guys like that? Let me know. Anyway, uh, lots of really cool questions this uh, this Sunday. We have questions about um, you know investing. My brother actually sent in a question. Todd, thank you. Uh, we also have a question from a non citizen who's wondering about real estate. So let's get to our questions. And I want to start with Johnny or Joni. Joni. Joni asks. I'm quickly becoming a fan of your daily podcast, and I I don't feel like I am a typical listener because I'm 51 years old, I'm married, I'm a female, I've never been great with money when it comes to saving and investing. There's a lot of focus on your show on starting at a young age, which of course is wise. What What would be the first thing that you would advise someone my age to do with the years I have left to secure some type of nest egg? Well, Joni... You're not old, okay? And if my mother were here, she would say 51 is not old because my mother is around that age as well. And and believe me, you know, um, you have a many, hopefully many healthy, happy years ahead. Uh, of course, you're not 25, so it's a little different saving at 50 versus 25. But the but the same principles hold, you know, save well, save often. And of course, now that you're 50 something and haven't perhaps been aggressive yet, um, it's time to get aggressive. You know, typically we say save 10% of your annual income every year in a rainy day account up until you have about six to nine months of a reserve. And that reserve would be able to cover your necessary expenses in the event of a job loss or in the event of a disability or or whatever, just to have that as an emergency. If you car breaks down, um, you need to suddenly find money for that. So it's 10% of your income until you have about six to nine months short. And then for retirement, another 10% for that. And that includes any kind of company match you might be getting in your in your work 401k. Now, you're 51, you've never really saved for retirement. So I would say 20%, 25% of your income in various accounts from your work 401k to an IRA, diversify and invest, I would say, no more than 50 or 60% of your money in equities, in stocks. Because at this age, you don't want to be taking a majority risk uh, in your portfolio. Um, You don't want to be going full stocks. You want to kind of keep it a little bit more balanced between stocks and bonds. The rest, I would say, bonds, um, more conservative investments, money market. You know, And also, I would say this is a good time because you're still young. You are. 51 is not old. You can think about what it is that you want to do in retirement and start laying that foundation today. So think about where do I want to live? What do I want to do? 
Um, and, and, and so if it's that you want to move and downsize, if it's that you want to relocate, if it's that you want to perhaps start a little side business or go back to school and some, I don't know what it, whatever it is, this is the time to plan it. And this is the time to kind of get those wheels turning as opposed to arriving in retirement and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I really want to do X, Y, or Z, but I wish I had had the foresight. So I would have saved more for it. I would have rearranged my life a little bit. And speaking of rearranging your life, this is a really good time. And I'm encouraging my parents to do this as much as possible, though they're being resistant. But I'll keep at it. It's like really downsize, you know, um, whatever you don't anticipate needing in retirement, if, whether it's that second car or it's, you know, even the house that you're living in or, or just the stuff that's accumulated around you, start going through it now and get rid of it. Have a yard sale, start to simplify, start to get uh, to a place where you have just enough for what you need and, and and get rid of the excess. And and maybe you can liquidate some of that stuff, you know, make money off of those extras. And that would be a, a way to jumpstart and get ahead with your with your retirement. So that would be my advice to you. It's really about perhaps, you know, spending, saving rather 20, 25%, maybe more of your income. You can still be in, in, in the stock market, but I would just say stick to 60, 50% or less and start laying the the groundwork, the foundation for you know perhaps the, what you want to do in retirement. If it's that you want to you know, start a business or um, consult or teach, work in a store, that you start thinking about this now. How am I going to generate income? Because the truth is, if you're in your fifties and you don't have any savings, um, unless you inherit a lots of money or you save every single penny for the next twenty years or fifteen years you're going to probably have to work a little bit longer than most people. Well, I guess the average, you know, age of retirement, which is, you know, we say 65, but, you know, think about maybe working a little bit longer to make up for these lost years of not saving. But I appreciate your listenership. I appreciate, Joni, you joining the show. You may not be the quote unquote average listener. Most of my listeners are millennials and, um, you know, and, and, sort of uh, moving up the corporate ladder or they're, you know, pursuing entrepreneurial pursuits. But I love hearing from you and I appreciate your question and I hope you'll stick with the show. Michael asks, Farnoosh, what is the best way to consolidate multiple loans, student loans, with multiple lending agencies with rates ranging from 2.2% to 7.5%? Well, this is a great question, Michael. Um, Lots of us carrying student loans these days, and I would say not knowing what types of loans that you have, and what I mean by that is, are they private? Are they public? Both. I'm going to guess a mix. Um, the first thing I would say to you that if, is if you have a mixture of, of types of loans, you have a loan from the government and a loan from a bank, that when you consolidate, you can't consolidate a private loan and a public loan together. It's like you can't mix. But you can consolidate whatever you have that are private loans as one bunch and public loans as another group. So if that's your case, I would say start there. Kind of identify what's my private loan, private loans, private and then public loans, and then conquer them you know, separately. Uh, with the private loans, it's a matter of ideally you want to go with an, a different loan product, perhaps it's a, a credit card or a private loan that carries a lower interest rate. Uh, so if you're, let's say, hypothetically, if you've got two private loans and each has got $5,000 on it, 
So, and one is a 2% rate, one is a 7% rate. You can try to apply for a private loan from the bank. That might be something around 6%. I don't know if that exists, but I'm just saying, like that would be where consolidating would make sense, getting that loan and using that loan to pay off your other student loans and then paying down that new loan. Um, there's also you know, peer-to-peer lending. I know a lot of people are turning to peer-to-peer lending for finding alternative ways to um, soften the interest rate blow on in on their student loans. And honestly, you know, seven percent is not that high. I'm not sure if you're going to find anything that is lower than that. There are some zero percent APR credit cards, but and, and that might be one way to navigate this. If I'm talking specifically private loans, because uh, it's zero percent. It's it's it's. I guarantee it's lower than whatever you've got on these other loans. However, that zero percent is not forever. It, it does expire after usually twelve or fifteen months, or sometimes eighteen months. So if you can pay off that loan within that time frame, then it absolutely makes sense to take on that credit card to pay off that student loan, and use now the credit card as your quote unquote new student loan, right? But you have to pay it off in full in that year to really take advantage of that. APR. Otherwise it's going to like go to 18% or something. And then you're, you know, you're, you're worse off than you once were. So private loans, a whole separate plan of attack, public loans, a different plan of attack with public loans, with federal loans, you might want to look at uh, income-based repayment. So federal loans to modify those, you want to call the loan officer, depending on your income, you may qualify for an income-based repayment plan check out ibrinfo.org and you'll learn there if you qualify and they can hook you up. And basically, I believe income-based repayment puts a cap at your monthly payments to something like 10%, um, no more than 10% or no more than 15% in some cases. And then if you're still paying off these loans after 20 years, your loans are forgiven but you can't ever miss a payment. Otherwise, uh, the clock starts again, I think, or you know, you, you're disqualified from that benefit. Um, but I hope that wasn't too kind of like long-winded of an answer, but th- the short answer is attack your private loans separately and your public loans separately. Consolidate them as their own categories. With private loans, it's a matter of shopping around, calling maybe the individual lenders and saying, hey, I want to consolidate. Do you have anything that's can beat the interest rates, the average interest rates that I have currently with these private loans. And then with federal, it's about checking out ibrinfo.org. Call your lender as well and talk about ways that you might be able to modify that loan. All right, Michael, good luck. All right, Todd, my brother, he sends me, remember Todd? Yeah, he used to be on this podcast in the early days. I will bring him back. It's just that our schedules have gotten so nuts. I, I mean, I, I record this podcast at the craziest of hours sometimes and just to get it in time for Saturday and Sunday, getting it, it done in time. And then Todd is like off doing a million things. So, but we, we always say that we want to, you know, re, have a reunion. So if, if any of you are wishing for that, your wish is going to come true soon. I just don't know when. But in the meantime, we have a question from Todd. He says, hey, Farnoosh, it's your brother. Yeah, I know. He says, many of my friends have saved some money after college, but don't know what to do with it. Well, that's nice. That's not something I often hear. It's usually the opposite. I have no money. A lot of them are torn on whether to invest in a portfolio brokerage account to pay off their college debt, maybe add to their IRA, 401k, or start their own side business. Which strategy is most valuable in the long run at their age, which is 25? 
Well, I would say that um, if I was not so risk averse, I would say plowed into a side business, you know, because I'm all for entrepreneurship. I'm all for making mistakes in your 20s because that's how you're going to learn and make the best decisions in your 30s and, and beyond. And so if it's really about your, if you have this goal, this passion to pursue your own business and you have a great idea, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in the beginning days, they, they do take these risks. And I think if you're a risk taker, then that might be something that's suitable for you. Now it's a risk, right? If the business fails and you're still like, say it's five years later and you're 30 and you haven't saved a penny for retirement, I would say, you know, you're going to have to really kick it up a notch or or 12 to get back to where you need to be. So if you have extra money and you have this passion project in your head and you have actually some wherewithal to put it together, you got a business plan, you have, you have a plan of action and you want to implement it, um, go for it. But I would say, you know, don't quit the day job. And as you're making money from your day job, try to save as well at the same time. But if you've got a little stash of cash and you want to really be um, experimental with it and a little bit of risk taking with it, then I would say start that business. But only if this is something that's important to you. I wouldn't say this to everybody. But more generally, I would say if you're not interested in having a business, I would say get ahead with retirement. You know, um, if you talk to anybody right now in their 40s and 50s and beyond, one of their biggest financial regrets, hands down, is always, I never started saving enough and soon enough for retirement. You know, I'm 45 now and I'm really worried. I've got kids, I've got a house, I've got a mortgage, I've got all these financial obligations. And I had I just started to save for retirement a little sooner, I'd be I'd feel a lot more confident in that department. I wouldn't feel so insecure about retiring. And so I would say to the best of your ability, if you have a 401k at work, contribute. If they're offering a match, even better. Do that. Absolutely do that. And, you know, if you've maxed that out, you've got money left over, open up a Roth IRA. And if your work doesn't have a 401k, definitely open up a Roth IRA. Definitely get some kind of retirement vehicle going. As far as brokerage account portfolio, that's for later. You know, that's for when you're, I feel like you're cruising with retirement as far as the retirement vehicles go, 401k, Roth IRA, you've got those figured out, you're, you max in those, you're taking good advantage of those. You've got more money left over. So now maybe it's about opening up a portfolio with, you know, help of a financial advisor, or if you have time and interest and uh, the ability, maybe it's something that you manage on your own, but this isn't like you're, you know, you're not day trading here. This is like you're picking index funds or, you know, other ETFs and stuff like that to create another basket for the future, another basket of investments for the future. And it's something that you visit from time to time, but it's not like you're, you know, you're not playing, quote unquote, playing the stock market, so to speak. Um, and so it's just another way to diversify, you know, I guess, your your ability to um, have enough money in the future. And um, and that's what I would say. So I don't think you would expect me to say, you know, use the money to start your own business, because I think I'm a little more risk averse than my brother. He's a little more risk tolerant, which is why he's the mega entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, but I like, you know, I like, I'm always a little later to the game. He's like out of the gates from college. He's like, I'm going to be my own boss, which I was like, okay, take it away, Todd. Um, and I think that that's something that he would have or is doing, you know, whatever money he saved, he's putting into maybe his own little um, business right now. So um, more power to you if you can do that and you can make it work. But generally for everybody, I'm a big fan of starting young, 
with retirement, you will thank yourself. You will absolutely thank yourself in years to come. And you'll thank me, hopefully. Reem, last question. Reem asks, I am a non-citizen and a non-resident of the U.S. If I own property here, am I eligible for a second home mortgage, generally speaking? Well, I, you know, Reem, I didn't really do a whole lot of research on this, although I'm a big, I know a lot about real estate. I've bought and sold multiple times in my life so far. Um, but I am a citizen and I am a resident of the U.S. So it was obviously easier for me than perhaps somebody who was a non citizen, a non-resident. But if you already own property here and you were able to secure property as a non-citizen, as a non-resident of the U.S., then I wouldn't know why you wouldn't be allowed to have a second home here. There are a lot of overseas investors that have property here. I mean, I live in New York. Most of the property here is owned by Russians and Israelis and the Chinese. Um, you know, it's it's a fact. And so I don't think that is going to be a hindrance for you, but I will say that in general, buying a second property, a third property, and wanting to finance it, um, it comes with more hurdles. It's not as easy because uh, as far as the bank is concerned, when you're a property owner, a multiple property owner, um, and, and like I say, you enter a, a period of financial distress, the first thing that's going to, the first shoe that's going to drop is not your primary home. It's going to be your secondary, your third home, your investment home, your summer home. So as a result, the underwriting for that is going to be a lot more difficult. They're going to want you to probably put down more as ter- in terms of a uh, down payment. They're going to make want to make sure that you have excellent credit. They want to definitely look at, you know, your, your bill payment history, your income and your debt to income ratio. So it's, and they're going to be a lot more scrutinizing than they were probably the first time. So if anything, securing a second home financing is challenging simply because that market is, um, is a, is a tougher market to break into just because lenders are, uh, a little more, uh, resistant and a little more, um, they're just more precautious. It's not impossible, clearly, but you just have to have, you have to be really buttoned up as a borrower, you know, and be able to be having, have more skin in the game, be able to put more down. So I don't think that being a non-citizen would, will work against you given that you've already secured a mortgage um, under these circumstances. So I, I, I don't see why you couldn't again, um, but do call around and ask banks and, and, and find out for sure that way. So, um, and if I'm wrong, <laughs> which I hope I'm not, but if I am wrong, let me know. Thank you, Reem. And thanks to everyone for your questions. Thank you to Todd. Thank you to Michael. Thank you to Joni. And as a reminder, uh, if you'd like to have me answer your question, just hop onto somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away. And if you'd like a free 15-minute money session with me, and many of you did leave reviews this week, it was hard to pick the my favorite, or I, I don't say it's my favorite, but it's just sort of the random one that I pick. I promise, and I'm not picking favorites. I just sort of like throw a dart and I pick um, one, a, one, you know, a new review from that week. And we announced that winner yesterday. So make sure to tune into the Saturday episode as well. But um, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, go to iTunes, leave a review. And every Saturday, I picked one new reviewer to get a free 15-minute money session with me. So hopefully, we will connect. And in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful end to your weekend. Go out there and enjoy uh, this beautiful spring that we're having. Hopefully, it's nice wherever you are. And uh, yeah, hope your day is so money, guys. That's a wrap. That's a wrap.